0: You can hear them tonight as they come back in a concert in the chapel across the patio there, and the Sons of Korah will be here at 6 o'clock, and so you'll have an opportunity to hear from them and the full on of all that they provide in terms of worship and experience before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love it when God's Word is exalted. I think about even as I was listening to that psalm from Psalm David, think of the times when David, as a young guy writing these songs and these psalms, and uh, there was this angry guy by the name of King Saul, And it was that music that began to soothe his soul. And uh, that uh, anger that came out of this really were a segue into the message this morning of a heart of tremendous pride. He was a very proud king and he couldn't stand the competition because David was killing the tens of thousands and Saul was only his thousands. And there were people singing about how great David was compared to Saul. So out of that pride came anger. In the anger came music and worship. To be able to soothe his heart. So come tonight and have your heart soothed as we explore that together. This morning we're continuing a theme on the Chronicles of the Kings. And it's all about pride this morning. And as I wrote to you in the email this last week, none of us have a pride problem here this morning. Because we can find others that are much more severe than we are. And so I'm I'm thankful that none of us have the pride problem. And so you're probably thinking, let's see, who's that really for? I bet it's my spouse, my child, my ex-spouse, my boss, my neighbor. I wish that they were here to hear this because they really need that. And so if that's some of your thinking, then this message is especially for you. And uh, it's sort of ironic that today we're talking about pride as we go through the Chronicles of the King, King Uzziah, because tonight is the Academy Awards. And uh, that's a bit of the irony. I don't typically watch the Academy Awards because I'm going to be at the Sons of Korra. Right? Right? You're going to be there too. And so this problem of pride, I don't watch the Academy Awards uh, to find out who wins the movies. Most of the movies that Joanna have probably have not even seen. Uh, but I like to watch the Academy Awards because I don't really know much about politics. And it really helps. <laughs> it helps me. Because who knows more about politics than celebrity millionaires? And so I bow to their royalty, that I can have great insights about things, that, so I can know how to think about those areas. But one of the, one of the people that is uh, going to probably be prominent tonight is a woman by the name of Meryl Streep. We all know her. We all love her. But one of the things that I was intrigued by what she had said some years ago, and I hope that she still feels this way, Because I absolutely agree with what I'm going to read that she said. About the Academy Awards, Meryl Streep. It's sort of exhausting. This self-congratulatory atmosphere in which the movie community lives. It's unbearable. We're not that important in the world. But we certainly all think we are. I shouldn't talk about it. I mean, I'm really grateful that my work is recognized, but boy... We've gotten a little bloated. It's so grand, and the outfits are so incredible, and the critique of how everybody looks and the desperation of people to make an impact. It really gets to me. I hope it still really gets to her, because it gets to me, too. And I think, why don't we have an Academy Award of plumbers? Those who have done the best drain underneath the sink, a category like that. You know, why not? Why not? the best custodians, those who really got the bathroom shining, you know. There should be, there should be the, yeah, thank you, thank you. I think we're on to something. Follow me. And so I think that we need to recognize that sometimes pride sneaks into all of our lives in one way or the other. So this morning, the problem and the pain of pride. This journey that we're going to be on in Second Chronicles 26, and you have a little flow chart here of the kings. Hard to keep them all in line, hard to remember their names. There was the southern, there are the northern kings. And you have an outline that is available for you because your listening pleasure goes way up when you follow along on the outline. And uh, we're, today we're on King Uzziah. We looked at his daddy last time, King Amaziah. King Uzziah, sort of the 800s or so, give or take, And he is the king of the southern tribes. Now, you recognize, if you follow the nation's history of Israel in the north of the ten northern tribes, it was the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And so these are the areas that we're looking at. And King Uzziah, he's serving down in this area of Jerusalem. And so we're going to learn about him. He served for 52 years. It's a good long run. Guy had this 50th anniversary. I'm sure it was a great celebration for him. And so this guy is the king Uzziah. And here's something that's interesting to me. I'm going to read the text here in just a moment, but I want to set it up in this way. About Uzziah. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I'm going to be in 2 Chronicles 26. You want to have your Bibles there. But it says about King Uzziah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. That was an intriguing statement. If you read the text, you read over the Bible, you think, why are things said? Why are things not said? Why are they said here, not there? It's interesting to me that he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. If you go back to the previous chapter in 2nd Chronicles 25, you read about Amaziah. So here's dad. What did he do according to all that his dad had done? It said, you said, behold, you Amaziah have defeated Edom. And your heart has become proud in boasting. And so it's at a wake-up call. There is a saying, like father, like son. It's cliche, but often cliches are premised upon something that generally tends to be true. And so here is Uzziah, who has learned from his dad. And one of the problems that dad had was pride. And we're going to learn that one of the problems Uzziah had was pride. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He says, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. The vice I'm talking about is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud... You cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Every sin comes out of pride. Every single sin. Because it was the sin of Satan when he was, Lucifer, when he was in heaven. And out of that sin of pride in heaven, he came and then he spread the cancer of sin in various and variety of forms. So what happens is this. Pride results when our lives are built around a false value system. A false value system. One of the things that you've heard me say before, and I'll say it again here this morning, is that uh, uh, this problem of pride is often manifested in what I sometimes refer to, and you've heard me say this, what I call the five Ps of pride. Well, there's four of them in this text today, and they are power. When my value system is based based upon how much influence and power I have in life. Secondly, on position, what I have achieved in life. When my value system is based upon my achievements in life, I'm a proud person. A third P is prestige. Prestige is what I want other people to think about me. So I'll do that all that I can so other people think highly of me. In fact, I might even have false humility so people think I'm really humble, but it's rooted in a, pride because I want people to think good of me, and people generally think good things about humble people. And then there is possessions. When my value system is based upon how much I have acquired, how many things I own, all the toys and the gadgets, all the electronics, when that is the basis of how good I feel about myself and my value system is rooted there, I've got pride. Now, what's interesting to me, and I'm going to come down here and give you an opportunity to help preach this sermon, all right? I'm going to read the text, I'm going to hold this microphone in my hand, I'm going to stick it in some of your faces, <laughs> don't leave, I'm going to read the verse, first 16 verses of 2 Chronicles 26, as I read those verses, I want you keep your eye on the big screen up here. Find what I found. One of the things that you do when you study God's Word, you read it over, you read it over, you read it over. Because each time you read it over, the Spirit of God brings to your mind things that you might not have seen the other time. Your mind might have drifted or somewhere. And the Spirit prompts you, oh, wow, I'm noticing something here. I want you to notice something here as to why he had a problem of pride Because I want you to identify where in this passage do you see the power, the position, the prestige, and the possessions that were those things that caused him to be proud. So, read along with me, and then identify in your mind. You don't need to shout it out as I read it, because I'll come out there and let you point out where those verses are. I've never done this before in 40 years of ministry. Don't make me regret it, okay? (laughs) All right. 26.1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old. 16 years old, and he begins to become king. Now some think he, would have, he was a co-regent with his father Amaziah during some of that period of time. And they made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jechaliah something like that, of Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah, proud man that he was, had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who was one of the prophets there, not the Zechariah of the Old Testament, but a man of God that would bring God's truth, who had understanding through the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Now he went out and he warred against the Philistines. And he broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashdod and the, built the cities in the area of Ashdod among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal and the Neonites. And the Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah and his fame extended to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate. And at the valley gate, and at the corner buttress, and fortified them. He built towers in the wilderness and hewed many cisterns. For he had much livestock, both in the lowland and in the plains. And he also had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country and the fertile fields. For he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which entered combat by divisions according to the number of their muster, prepared by jail the scribe and Messiah, ah, huh, something like that. The official, under the direction of Hananiah, Han one of the king's officers. And the total number of the heads of the households of valiant warriors was 2,600, and under the direction was an elite army of 307,500 who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and sling stones. In Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. They were like catapults that would lift them, huge rocks. And hence the fame spread afar. For he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But... No one wants to hear a but in your eulogy. (laughs) You're going along saying all these great things and then you hear somebody at that eulogy, but you brace yourself, oh no, now what? But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But he became proud. Now, he became proud based upon what I call the four Ps of pride. They're actually five. The fifth P is pleasure. Probably that's in there somewhere, but I want to be true to the text. It didn't really say that, but it's probably there somewhere. Tell me, raise your hand. Who can find verses that talk about power, position, prestige, and possessions that are reflections Of his pride, probably it'd have to be relatively close to where I am because I have a bad knee. (laughs) All right, I'm coming all the way back here. What verse do you see, and what do you see in that verse? Oh, Oh, did did you raise your hand? I was going to, but oh, okay, all right, go ahead. Uh, I think I've been. uh, I think that I've been involved in all of those positions and when God brought it to my attention I think of Micah 6 8 for God has not given me the uh he He has told us what he requires of us to do justly love mercy and walk calmly before thy God all right very good very good thank you did did you want to say something too okay Position, er, position. Yeah, position. All right. Um, is in verse? In 16. Verse 16. His heart was so proud that he acted. Uh, he acted correctly. corruptly. All right. No accountability. No accountability. All right. He's a 16-year-old kid when he gets started, and that's pretty young. To... All right. Anybody else? So far, I'm not sure this is working out as well as I hope. Yeah. So... I think under power and prestige, verse 9 hits it that he built towers in Jerusalem and the corner gate and the valley gate. He goes on and on to say everything he's building that's building his own power and his prestige. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, very good. In verse number 13, he didn't just have an army. He had an elite army. Yeah. So he was bragging on his arm. So he's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's good. Prestige, yeah. Anybody else want to volunteer? There's no wrong answers. Yeah, he uh, violated God's word, went into the temple, took the place of the uh, high priest. Mm-hmm. Position, yeah. Position. He took the position of the high priest. Yeah. We're, going to talk, we're going to break that down, why that's, not, uh, that's an evil thing for him to do. So he wanted a little more uh, of that kind of uh, wrongful position. Anybody else? All right. And it says, his, his fame extended to the border of Egypt His fame. All right. There you go. Prestige. Wow. Look at how big of a deal I am. All the way to Egypt. Everybody's thinking highly of me. Anybody else? A couple more. All right. Oh, possessions, verse 10. He had, it tells all that he had livestock and lowland and in the plain. He had plowmen and vine dressers and fertile fields for he loved the soil. Yeah. Loved the soil. I guy loved farming, agricultural, lots of stuff. One last one. Um, on fourteen, he had um, provided the shields and gar and spears and helmets and-, and coats for the army all right, so power maybe huh yeah. very power- powerful guys, so their possessions there 's prestige, his fame, his power uh, as he rallies together hundreds of thousands of warriors and has catapults and they 've created all these new inventions of war and so these are the things that drive his sense of pride. And I think it's a good reminder for me that sometimes we get caught up in those things that uh, just don't really count before God that we use to somehow have value. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say at all, that somehow power, position, prestige, or possessions are innately wrong because God blessed them. But when my value system is based upon those things, as to how much power, how much influence, even in the pastoral role. When I was in my first church of about 70 people, I thought someday, someday I'd like to have a large church. So This is what goes on in a pastor's brain. It's a scary place to go. <laughs> but you have that sense that I will have more value if I have a larger church than 70 people. And that's, that's pride. And you'll have more value if you have a company that has more than one million. If a company that has more than 50 employees. That we want to get larger because when we get larger, we have more value. When we have more children, we have more value. When we have more people thinking more highly of us, we have more value. God says you don't need those things to have value. I value you whether you are the poorest person in the world or you are the Bill Gates of the world. You have value because of who you are as a person. And then when we come to Christ, that gives us all the value that we'll ever need. So we live in a world where there are awards given out for a false value system, and we don't want to play that game. So I encourage us to admit when we get value from the wrong things. I was interested, there was a a quote some years ago Back when Teddy Roosevelt, he was a great conservationist-type president and had really a faith in the Lord. And he had a friend, William Beebe. William Beebe was uh, an officer in the Army. He was a Medal of honor winner. And William Beebe, many people think of him as the father of the ecology movement, of conservation. And when Teddy Roosevelt was president, they would go outside. William Beebe wrote about this. He says, Teddy and I, we would go outside, outside, underneath the stars at night. We'd look up at the stars in the vast array of the universe. We'd find the spiral galaxy of Androm- the Andromeda. And we would see in that millions of galaxies and millions of suns that were much larger than our sun. And we would just stare at the sky and the vast array of that beauty. And then Teddy Rose would say, Okay, I think we feel small enough now. Let's go back inside. And we need to have that sense. There's someone much greater than us. There are things much more powerful, more important than us. And our selfishness would drive us to think that we have to do things to gain that value. And what happens is that when we are driven by pride, we begin to have this corruption. We need to acknowledge and take responsibility for this. That's why I love this verse, this little phrase, he acted corruptly, but when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord as God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What pride does is it causes us to act corruptly and in two areas... I notice in this text that he acted corruptly. He acted corrupt. The word corrupt means to destroy in the pit, to sink down. He's sinking down. He acted corruptly in his relationship with God. It begins to destroy everything that he would believe in. And so it says in there, he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And the verses go on, and it says in there, then the anger of the Lord burned against, whoops, Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn the incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are not consecrated to burn the incense. Get out of the sanctuary, he says, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor before the Lord. The priest alone had the right to offer that sacrifice. Old Testament scriptures taught that this is the role of the priest. So as you heard, Uzziah went in there and he claimed a position that was not rightfully his. He wanted to rule not only the government and the political side, but he wanted to rule the religious side and to become that dual area of position of power. And God rebuked him for that by bringing these 80 valiant priests that came in there. Can you imagine confronting a king who could have their heads cut off? And so there is this brokenness before him and God. This is the thing that pride does. It breaks us. Now, we don't have the temple. We don't have roles where the priest can only do certain things in our church, or the pastors can only do. We don't have those kind of rules and regulations. That was the temporary practice in those days. The timeless principle is this, that when I have pride and when we have pride, it breaks a relationship with God in the worship And the intimacy with him. And as C.S. Lewis says, when you're looking down, you can't see who's up. And pride destroys our hearts because it's all about what I want. My selfishness, my desires are first. When I come to worship, if it's about what I want, then I may be losing what God wants. Sometimes I'm driven by whether I like this song or I like that word or I like that passage or I like that preacher. And when my heart's driven by what I like and what I want in worship as to who's preaching or who's leading in worship or what songs are sung and whether they're familiar or unfamiliar, when I'm driven by what I want in the experience, I'm losing the sense of what God wants. And this is what happens, his unfaithfulness. He was unfaithful to the Lord in his worship experience. He took on a value system that was ungodly. And God says, just humble yourself and know that I am the Lord their God. Come and worship me. And the second area where it corrupts is the corruption of his relationships with others. He corrupts this. Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, and this word enraged is this idea of being embittered, worried, feared, troubled heart, a raging storm. When I become proud, I become angry. That's why King Saul became angry, and King David, to be King David, would come and bring music to soothe his ailing heart. Proud people are angry people. And they stew and they express it. One of the things that I've noticed, and I haven't referred to this in a long time, I want to go back to it. One of the burdens that I have are relationships with people, and especially in the area of marriage. We had the marriage seminar yesterday. We had the marriage GPS coming up again. And one of the things that I know that a lot of us challenged with is the area of marriage. We're helping kids get married successfully with premarital counseling, but we know we can't fix everything. What happens in some marriages, and I have this wonderful article, and I've referred to it many years ago, and it just came to my attention because somebody else needed it, sadly. And the article is called The Silent Killer of Christian Marriages. The Silent Killer of Christian Marriages is one of Usually the husband, but I'm going to say it could be the wife, has a pride problem. And they exercise that pride in anger and control and authoritarianism. Some of the qualities of a proud, abusive spouse, emotionally abusive, not necessarily physically, is intimidation, eliciting fear, guilt, pity, or anger, making a person feel vulnerable, in danger, unprotected, or helpless, put-downs, criticisms, or verbal abuse. Causing shame or humiliation. Controlling another's schedule. Keeping another ignorant regarding the world of finances and others. Keeping a person in crisis and thus occupied and off balance. Conspiracy and turning others away from aiding the person. Creating situations in which there is no way to win. Lying, gossip, threatening, self-harm or suicide, possessiveness, and jealousies although the behaviors in them themselves are forms of abuse, it is the constant climate of destruction that, belie- that allows the spouse to remain trapped with no confidence or hope and no way out. This is in an article about the silent killer of Christian marriages, not of the world the outside the relationship with Jesus, but this Christian marriages. Pride causes me to work against others in unhealthy and angry ways. If I have an anger problem, whether it's an embittered spirit or an outright, this rage, this raging storm, I've got a pride problem. And it's all about me. And until I can admit that, I've got a big problem to be worked on. Now I want to show you a little video I came across this last week. It's a song, it's called Humble and Kind, to be humble and kind. And I'm not showing you this because he's going to preach a message to you that's from Scripture. I have another reason I want to show you that. So take a look and listen. This is for all the NASCAR fans. by the front door Don't forget the keys under the mat When childhood stars shine Always stay humble and kind Go to church cause your mama says to Visit grandpa every chance that you can It won't be wasted time We stay humble and kind on. Always stay humble and kind. Now when I saw that, let me tell you what went through my mind. At first when I heard that message, always be humble and kind, I like the, I like the song. 50 million hits on that song. 50 million people are into that song. And I like the song. I like the message. When I saw it, all oh, there's different religions in there, and we can't have different religions, and we have the one way to Jesus. You know what became in my heart? A sense of pride. I thought, no, no, he's always be humble and kind, but he's just showing all these other cultures and all these other religions and, and there's Buddhism and there's all these other ways that people want to relate to God that, that as you watch the whole thing, that surfaces. And what happened to my heart is I became proud and I became judgmental when the whole song is about humility, and what I want to ward against is that we have this sense that because we have the way to God through Jesus Christ, that in pride we look down upon others and don't love them like the most humbled man in the world, Jesus Jesus humbled himself, he gave up the throne of heaven. He gave up everything as he humbled himself, what is in the fancy theological world called the kenosis theory, where he emptied himself of the outward manifestation of God to humble himself so that he could love every culture, every people group, every religious person that was on that screen. One of the themes that we have here at Calvary Church is that we want to love like Jesus across every culture and every generation, whether old or young, whether Asian, whether African, whether Buddhist, whether Hindu, whatever the religion, whatever the people group, whatever the culture, whatever the age, humbled people love like Jesus across those divides. And that's where I want us to bridge to. That we don't have the sense that because I am the way and maybe I have a certain genetic makeup that somehow I am superior. No, and humility. That's why 50 million people look at that. The idea of humility and you're not better than me. Because I'm not better than any of those people. But I've got a God that loves me a lot more. And I want to represent Jesus to all cultures, all generations, all generations all religions, so that maybe maybe some would come to know him. For you and me, pride sometimes builds that barrier, and we become judgmental, condemning in our minds, in our hearts, and we think that we're better. We're not. It's the humility of confession that brings us before God. The problem is that when I don't acknowledge that, this is the problem, when I don't acknowledge it, I get in trouble. Because what happened to King Uzziah? I'm not going to say that's going to happen to us, but I love this this summary statement here. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And what happened is that King Uzziah became proud, and in his pride he would in anger lash out against the priest who told him you cannot worship that way, and in his pride God gave him leprosy. Now, I'm not saying if you're proud, you're going to get leprosy. Watch out. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, but I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want to let you off the hook because I I live in a constant fear of God. I'm driven more out of a fear for God sometimes than I am for a love for God. And that's not always a healthy place to be. But I do know that what God is acknowledging here is that King Uzziah, that generally is thought to be a good guy, ended his days in confinement as a leper. Because in his pride, he could never acknowledge. He could never acknowledge his problem. So the invitation for us is to acknowledge, if I have that problem, if my life is filled with anger and judgmentalism, if my embittered spirit is unwilling to forgive, then I've got a pride problem. And God frowns on that to the degree that he took a guy along 2,800 years ago and said he became a leper so that you and I can have an illustration that as good as your life may be, as prosperous as it may be, prosperity and position and power, possessions and prestige, that God says, I take it all away because I invite you to be humbled before me, to live a life that reflects him. I love this quote of... George Mueller he says, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought to instead want no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hand as a means. And I, say it, and I say it deliberately, trials and obstacles and difficulties and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. God sometimes humbles us through the tragedies and the triumphs and the difficulties of life so that our hearts can be humbled before him. And one illustration i read just this last week, a story that just came out, is this woman, Catherine Wolfe. She was a beauty queen. She had everything the world would want to have in the world today. And then she had a stroke. And half of her body became paralyzed. She can't talk. She can't walk. It's hard to smile. And in that brokenness of her body... God did something. I just want to read one paragraph that she says. Yes, deeply. Being in a wheelchair has been so freeing. Being in a wheelchair has been so freeing. The beauty that comes from being paralyzed and disabled is being freed from perceptions that everything is okay with me or that I have it all together. My body has become a unique microcosm. I'm the one with a paralyzed face, But who feels beautiful all the time? I can't even ride or walk anymore, but I feel fully free in all my life. People know at first glance that I am broken, but my embodiment of brokenness is actually everyone's story. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And in her brokenness, she began to have a new vision of who God is. And who she is in Christ. And that's the beauty of humility. That sometimes God allows these things that we don't want. So that he could break us. To become who we should be. And God invites us to be those humble people. That we're not driven by power and prestige. And possessions and position. But we're driven by the presence of Christ. Who wants to reign supreme in our lives. And I invite you into that. Let me pray. Father God, help us to be the people you want us to be as we bow ourselves before you and trust in you, Lord, for the good work that you want to do. And God, as we come before you to worship you now, I pray, God, that we would have a heart that follows you and that, God, I know we're going to hear from Psalm 51 where King David, in his pride with Bathsheba, in adultery and then murder Uzziah, God, where he and his pride as he sat there counting all the merits of his kingdom and that you brought him low. And in his psalm, he expresses to you, Father, the heart that I wish for all of us, that we would be humbled before you and to see you for who you are as an almighty God of gracious humility that you invite us into that world. And God, where there is pride, I pray that you would remove it. You would bring it to light. And God, I ask that you would do it somewhere short of leprosy. God, I don't want to be a leper, and I don't want anybody here. I don't think you're going to do that. But God, that we would voluntarily come and humble ourselves, say, Lord, yes, you alone are great. And all that I have and all that I own, it all belongs to you. So in humility, let us come and worship you. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.